Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double N. And here's the show. Hello creatives. I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 481 of the podcast and it is Friday 20th of March 2020 as I record this. So today I have an interview with Austin Cleon about Keep Going, his book on continuing to create, which is a message we all probably need right now. Although we recorded the interview several weeks ago and some things have obviously moved on and my thoughts have also changed. So I will add a longer outro after the interview with some more uh, thoughts so you can have a more up-to-date take on the topic. So to be honest, it is hard to record this. Uh, Every day we wake up and see more news of people suffering, both physically from the virus, but also increasingly from the economic repercussions. And that's certainly my family and friends, as much as I'm sure it is your family and friends. And it is a difficult time. to say the least. Uh, Lots of you have emailed and said I should keep podcasting. So I will be, even if I feel pretty down some days. And I imagine you do too. It's a kind of cycle of anxiety and anger and then sadness. And then I go out in the sun and I listen to the bird song and I think, okay, things aren't that bad. And then I stupidly log on to (laughs) look at the news or something. And uh, some people are saying it's a bit like the five stages of grief for the way things used to be. Uh, Denial, anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance. And to be honest, I think I'm cycling through those multiple times a day sometimes. (laughs) Uh, Every time something new happens, it's like, no, that can't be right. Or no, that really, that can't be happening. And then just anger. I have I have had quite a lot of anger, which I'm take, trying to take out with physical exercise. Uh, so yeah, I think we're all bouncing between these feelings. Wherever you are in the world, I know we have listeners from over 220 countries. And what's crazy about this pandemic is it presumably, I think either it is in every country in the world or it will be at some point. So you are likely impacted in some way and you will be somewhere in this uh, rainbow of feelings at different times. So in Bath, England today, as I speak this Friday, schools schools are shutting today. Um, most restaurants, cafes, many shops are already shut. It is quiet. You know, there's not, not, no, not a lot of cars on the road, a lot of people working from home, people staying in their houses. Um, but the supermarkets, of course, and uh, food shops, pharmacies are open. And I mean, there are some restaurants and cafes and things that are open, but we are uh, staying home. Uh, So when we have been out to shop, there is this kind of barely controlled sense of panic (laughs) and a lot of people criticising those panic buying. And of course, you know, we shouldn't do that. But I can also understand why people are doing it because there's this fear. And when even when you go to the supermarket, you feel that fear like a vibration in the air. And we are writers, so uh, we have empathy. So we are having empathy with people and then trying to control our own panic (laughs) so that we don't buy all the toilet roll. Uh, But even here, 
we only have a few cases in Bath where I live, um, but my siblings and uh, my family, various people in my family all around the world at different places, different times. And yeah, well, anyway, I talked more about this in my latest podcast on the Books and Travel podcast, which (laughs) I recorded uh, 48 hours ago. There is an episode called Sanctuary Retreat belonging, the importance of home in difficult times. And I talk about my feelings around having an international family and how my husband, uh, his heart is split across hemispheres right now because his family are in New Zealand and Australia and how what is really important comes into focus at times like this. Uh, So go, uh, if you want to hear my feelings uh, on that, yeah, go and listen to the Books and Travel podcast. I am also I'll talk about what I'm doing on that side in a minute. (laughs) But I've also done a YouTube video on tips for working effectively at home, which hopefully will help. Links in the show notes or on my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash the creative pen. I will be doing more videos in the coming weeks um, on various topics. So I have also been angry at myself, uh, obviously angry at the world, um, but angry at myself for taking my life for granted, for assuming that everything would stay the same, for working on things that don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. So I've really been journaling a lot and just there are things that I'm like, why was I doing that? Or why was I getting worked up about that when these are the things that really matter? But I have also been taking massive action in the last few days because uh, wherever you are in the world, um, I presume most of people listening because of our age, we did go through the global financial crisis. And this may be a lot worse from what I'm reading in newspapers like the Financial Times and, uh, you know, financial papers. And even if people don't feel like, oh, well, I don't have stocks and shares, so I'm not affected by that. Um, this is when people start getting laid off. And because of what I happened to me in the global financial crisis, <laughs> I didn't care about pensions back then or investments. I just cared that I'd got laid off. And I know this is happening already. Many of my friends have seen work disappear, literally just disappear, everything gone. And um, for my family and friends, I'm sure either you are in this position or someone you know is, and we are a global community. So we're hearing about it. And uh, even if we're not suffering it ourselves, this is happening. But it is important to focus on what you can control. So that's what I'm going to talk about now. I'm not going to dwell on misery. I am, uh, you can do that on your own time. And I've been miserable on my own time. So this is your time. I am going to step it up a notch and we are going to think about what we can control and um, what we can do. So first of all, obviously, try and do as much as you can to protect your health and uh, you will be doing whatever your health authorities tell you and listening to uh, authoritative health professionals around social distancing, social distancing and quarantining and everything like that. So I'm assuming you're doing that. You can control your behaviour and you're washing your hands, etc, etc. But let's talk about business. So I'm part of Christine Catherine Rush's Patreon account, Patreon, Patreon, Patreon. And uh, Chris posts on chriswrites.com, Chris with a K and K-R-I-S writes.com. 
And I'll link to Chris's Patreon in the show notes, or you can just go to Patreon and search Christy and Catherine Rush. But Chris posted an article. She always posts her articles to the Patreon first, and then they go out on the blog later. And this article was great. It came out this week, just as I was starting to go through my business and start to triage it. And Chris's article goes sort of a step-by-step process. So I would urge you to join Chris's Patreon, even if um, the article will be coming out everywhere uh, and it will be on her blog soon. And that actually is a good reminder that Patreon is a great way to support creators in the community, not just writers, but also anyone in the performance industry, musicians, comedians, anyone you appreciate in the in the creative industry. Uh, they may well have a Patreon uh, or a YouTube channel or something that you could possibly support. Thank you to everyone who supports me on Patreon. Uh, that is really helping with uh, making sure this continues as time goes on. But yes, uh, so Chris's Patreon, um, essentially the first thing is to think about, think about how things might happen and what you might need to do to protect your income and your lifestyle and your family. So, and I'll just talk about my situation, obviously, but hopefully these questions will help. So we already live a pretty basic life. Um, We are child-free, car-free by choice. We have, um, you know, we have a modest house. Uh, the, our biggest expenditure is actually travel, which is now all cancelled. <laughs> and I only have one trip that I had paid half of it towards, which I'm I'm assuming I'm just going to lose that money, but um, really wasn't overcommitted on travel. My business is mostly online and global with multiple streams of income. So I feel like if it was just me and my husband, uh, we'd probably be in pretty good shape. Uh, we also have cash buffer you know, things that mean we could make it through, mainly because of what happened to me in the global financial crisis. I already prepared for something like this, not in a over the top or even not over the top kind of prepper sense. Um, You know, we don't, we're British, we don't have weapons in the house (laughs) or anything, but we do, um, because of what we went through in 2008, 2009, we definitely keep things pretty slim uh, in terms of outgoings. But I also want to make sure I can support my family because um, I'm the eldest of five siblings and they are all freelancers, (laughs) contractors. Uh, We also have various other people I also want to make sure I can keep paying my freelancers, the freelancers I work with in the creative pen business, uh, Alexandra and Dan and Jane and uh, other people I work with. I want to keep paying people because cash flow needs to move in order to support the whole ecosystem, if you know what I mean. So um, everyone needs to pay their bills. So if we can all keep some moving in in the supply chain, then hopefully that will help. Now, of course, book sales and especially online book sales. So bookstore, print bookstore book sales may be severely impacted and we we are very likely to see impacts on Barnes and Noble and other physical, you know, specifically physical bookstores. Online book sales may even go up. So our ebook sales, audiobook sales, print on demand, uh, that should all go up. But most authors do not make all their money from book sales. And this is a really important point. So if you're like, oh, yay, I'm fine because I'm only book sales. Great. But most people 
do not make all their money from book sales. And many authors are traditionally published and that is more in danger as physical bookstore sales are tanking. The book fairs, literary festivals, um, you know, even traditional media like going on TV or having interviews like that, all of those things are traditionally published uh, authors' sort of mainstay of promotion. So, uh yeah, that's also I've already had notifications from authors whose books are being delayed. So their publication is being delayed because bookstores are closing and publishers are just going, well, what's the point in putting the book out now? And it's possible that those authors would be waiting on money from publication. So um, let us as indies be very aware of our traditionally published friends. And if you are traditionally published and you're listening, then now might be a really good time to start writing things you can publish indie. (laughs) And when I'm laughing, I hope you realise I'm laughing because it's difficult to do anything else. I don't want to cry on my podcast, to be fair. Um, Yes. So we can say as indie authors that if we control our own IP, we can publish globally and we can market online and uh, we have things in place. So we are in a good place to let us try and support other people by uh, buying other things and paying freelancers and stuff like that. Okay, in saying that, uh, let us also not assume that everything is just going to carry on hunky-dory and bounce back within a couple of months. I certainly think because of my experience in the global financial crisis, it's, you know, it's an 18 month economic thing, let alone what might be happening with health wise. So I am, obviously, I would love for everything to be fine by July, which is what some of some people are saying. But I personally, I am and I'm an optimist. I hope you guys know that. I mean, but I just can't see that happening. So I'm preparing for a longer financial downturn for sure. So first of all, trim any fat in your business and in your personal life. <laughs> so um, for me, I have been getting rid of any recurring payments for online tools that I don't use enough. And there are a few of these, uh, for example, like SEO tools, things like that, that I'm like, yeah, I don't really need that. So I'm getting rid of that. I have cancelled overpayment on our mortgage. So, you know, we decided that we could put in a bit extra every month onto the mortgage. So I've taken that, stopped that. Um, And anything where there's an outgoing that I don't have to do it, I'm stopping. Uh, I have moved to online physical training, which is cheaper, but also still supports my local businesses. And um, because I want to be able to pay my contractors as long as I can do. Uh, I've also moved to buying basic versions of foodstuffs instead of more luxury brands. And I'm literally embarrassed to say this. Probably the other thing that I do spend money on is coffee. <laughs> and I was, you know, I have an espresso machine at home and I get the pods. And now I'm like, okay, I guess it's time to move to um, instant coffee. So you know, it's more uh, what I don't want to do. And this is where I am on this. I don't want to think four months down the line, why didn't I do that? If I can give another hundred pounds to my sister or, you know, support my nieces or whatever. That's kind of how I'm feeling on it. I have also put books and travel on hiatus in terms of interviews, I have two more pre-recorded interviews to go out 
But then I'm going to be doing some of my own more memoir writing, which is what I intended in the first place. It's just kind of fallen by the wayside uh, because it costs me money to do a podcast without sponsors or Patreon or anything. So I'm stopping those. Uh, I will. I'm keeping that podcast kind of going, but it will be mainly personal, and it probably won't be every two weeks. It might go to once a month, for example. For this podcast, as long as I continue to get corporate sponsorship and you wonderful patrons for the show, I will continue with interviews and will continue personally regardless, um, unless I get sick, of course. And if I get sick, there is a contingency plan (laughs) in place. So uh, don't worry, you guys are my community. I'm intending to be here. So once you've gone through the sort of trimming the fat side of things, uh, then it's a case. And I I laugh because some days I'm like, yeah, I'm going to finally lose the extra five kilos and skip lunch and fast more. And then, uh, you know, 10 minutes later, I just want to binge eat Cadbury's cream eggs. <laughs> so you're probably in the same boat. <laughs> and there just seems to be no shortage, you know, the shortage of toilet paper, but there's no shortage of Cadbury's cream eggs. I mean, seriously. <laughs> right. So you've cut that stuff and now you're going to add more cash flow streams. And this is where you can have a look at what you've got and many of the things I've talked about. And uh, there's a, a new course up on multiple streams of income. And one of the things is selling direct. Now, I've been talking about this for years. So have, so have a, a number of people. But now I think selling direct is coming into its own. So those of you on my email list would have gotten my quarantine offer this week. Uh, essentially, if you go to my store, payhip.com forward slash the creative pen, links in the show notes, uh, you can get 50% off my ebooks and some audiobooks, including audio for authors, which is still not on Audible, uh, if you buy direct from my store using the discount code quarantine, all caps, and you'll get 50% off. So, what I did was I was I was like, okay, how do you get money immediately for potential issues? You can uh, sell direct. This only works if you own your own rights. If you have your own, uh, you you have the right to do that, which you don't if you're traditionally published and you've signed your licensed your rights away. Uh, but also if you have an email list or a way to reach readers. So I have a blog post on this with everything you need to set up direct sales thecreativepen.com forward slash direct sales. Links in the show notes. Um, So the reason selling direct is so amazing is that the money is in your bank account within about 10 minutes or a couple of hours at the latest, certainly within 24 hours. Now, that is crazy because if you publish through, uh, if you self-publish through Amazon, Kobo, Apple Books, everyone else, you're going to get the money 30 to 60 days later. If you are traditionally published, it might be months or possibly even years after you finish the book. Uh, So we can basically put money into our bank account in within 24 hours by asking readers to buy direct from our store. Plus, you actually have the email of the people who bought so you can develop a relationship with them. 
I think that we have, you know, I said earlier, I'm angry about the things I've taken for granted. I've had direct sales set up for years and I just let it trickle in. And my main thought was, oh, you know, it's fine. I don't need to push direct sales because people buy on the store that they want. I had never really thought, what is what is the best thing for me? Because if you actually... Yes. And I know some of you are thinking, (laughs) but what about the rankings? Obviously, if you buy uh, a book on one of the stores, specifically Amazon, really, uh, then other people might see your book because it's gone up the rankings. Now, that is fair enough. But the other thing is, what if you want the money immediately? And what if you want to create a relationship with a reader, which you don't necessarily have when you sell through these stores? Now, I'm not saying I'm stopping selling on the other stores. I'm certainly not. But in this situation, this suddenly became, it's like the penny dropped on direct sales. It's not just for readers who are in countries that can't use many of these online bookstores. This is also a way that readers can support you and get a good deal in the process. So I'm super thrilled about this. Uh, I just, I just, the penny has really dropped for me on um, direct sales. And now I'm always going to push direct sales at launch uh, because over time I, you know, I care less and less about rankings and things like that. I don't, I, you know, I look at launch day and then I stop looking, to be honest. And I know I'm in a position where I've built my base following for a decade. So fair enough. But this is something we all have to build over time. So this is a chance to take control. And if you don't have this in place, then maybe it's time to start building it. An email list and also books that you own the IP for so you can sell direct yourself. So thecreativepen.com forward slash direct sales links in the show notes. You can find that um, blog post or buy direct payhip.com forward slash the creative pen discount code quarantine all caps uh, for 50% off. Okay, so that's one thing I did. I was like, right, I am. And I uploaded all my audiobooks that I have um, that are non-exclusive and uh, just, you know, went for it. So I put a whole load more stuff into my payhip store yesterday and then sent out an email. So that's cool. Obviously, If you can write fast, then now is a great time to double down, um, especially if you're working from home or, uh, you know, you're finding you have more time to write. Um, Even if you write slowly, now is a good time to write more. If you're struggling to write in one genre and look, to be honest, I, (laughs) I just can't seem to get down to my fiction. Part of it is because I can't go to my cafe and I just haven't found a place in my house that I feel I could write fiction here, which is, I'll get over it. I'm just still adjusting. <laughs> but um, I've gone back to nonfiction and writing memoir stuff. And But switch it up. Just switch it up from your routine. Write in another genre if you're really struggling to concentrate. Um, or if you, and or, if you have a backlist, well, now's the time to do box sets and promotions. Maybe do royalty shares for audio. Um, even upskill to narrate yourself. And obviously check out my book, Audio for Authors, which you can buy direct in audio if you fancy on my PayHip store. Um, just an update on that. I emailed Audible and said, what the hell? And basically it's taking a month or more at the moment for books to go through. So that's a pain. The other thing you could do is upskill and do all of those training courses you have bought (laughs) and need to make time for. Uh, Because look, at some point this will be over and a good thing will be to position yourself for the next stage of your author career. So um, I'm also going to be doing more 
online mini courses. So they will be, um, you know, a lower price. Uh, I put out multiple streams of income last week and I have more to come. In fact, my next one will be how to turn what you know into an online course. So it will just be a, a short uh, lecture um, that will help you if you want to pivot to teaching things online. Uh, I'll also have one on business plans, which will include planning for difficult times and lots of other things. So you can always find those at thecreativepen.com forward slash courses. If you're a patron, you get 10% off. If you have bought one of my other courses, you get 20% off. So lots of ways to get discounts. Uh, yeah, so those are some some things that I'm doing, adding more income streams and doubling down on on more. Obviously, I'm continuing to write and I'm also going to take the time to go through the basics for all of my books and, you know, get back to the SEO project I was doing with the website and uh, basically get to those tasks, admin tasks that we all have on our list and we haven't had time for. Plus, uh, I'm going to keep doing my health things. So very importantly, walking every day, um, getting outside, working out in the park, um, doing yoga at home. Physical movement is so important right now for our mental health as well as our physical health. Obviously, you need to be um, social distancing, but that is easy enough outside. Uh, More in the Healthy Writer, (laughs) available in audiobook and ebook on my direct store. Right. So those are some of my thoughts on basically taking control. And uh, yes, I'm stressed and anxious and momentarily depressed some days. And then I kind of go, right, what can I control? What can I take action on? How do I stay busy? How do I stay away from the news? (laughs) So I hope that gives you some ideas as well. So thanks for your emails and tweets and comments this week, although there were uh, a lot fewer of them (laughs) because everyone is uh, busy doing their thing. But uh, yeah, feel free to send me pictures from wherever you are sheltering in place or quarantining or whatever your situation is like um, in the world. Tweet me at the creative pen uh, with a double N, obviously. But a few, a few comments. Emily Robertson says, I went on a walk on this weird rainy morning listening to the show when I got home. These said hello, sent me a lovely picture of daffodils. Thank you, Emily. Uh, Sarah M. Addison said, what a tonic it is to listen to your latest podcast and hear you giggling away to yourself. <laughs> there you go. There's another one. I love it. Thanks for being a ray of sunshine as well as deeply informative. Um, glad you think that, Sarah. Thank you. And uh I'll probably keep giggling to myself. (laughs) I hope I will. Uh, And then Robin Sarti says, for anyone struggling with the need to stay home at this time, listen to this episode of Books and Travel. Once again, the creative pen says everything my heart cannot. Thank you, Robin. I'm really glad that show resonated with you. So today's show is sponsored by Findaway Voices, which gives you access to the world's largest network of audiobook sellers and everything you need to create professional audiobooks. They can help you find a professional narrator and you can do a royalty share deal or you can upload your own files that you narrate yourself or produce separately. I love Findaway as they enable you to publish to the big stores like Audible, Apple Books, Google Play, Storytel, Nook, Kobo Audio, Walmart, many more. 
as well as library apps. So readers can get your audiobook for free and you still get paid, which is fantastic. And also promotional sites like chirp.com, which is run by BookBub and hopefully is going to transform the audiobook marketing world. Uh, And if you publish exclusively um, with uh, the incumbent (laughs) that many indies do, you will not have access to all of these markets. Also, you can sell Audio Direct through Authors Direct and you will find my audiobooks on Authors Direct. Um, You can only buy from it in a couple of countries, but including the USA. So uh, you can get my audiobooks there. Even if you are exclusive to Amazon with ebooks, this is really important. If you're in KDP Select with ebooks, you can still go wide with audio. So that shouldn't stop you. Uh, you can also go wide with print, obviously. But the market for audio wide is huge. So don't miss out. Take back your freedom. Choose your price. Choose how you sell. Choose how you distribute. Go to findawayvoices.com and check them out for your next audio project. So thanks to Findaway and this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing for the show. But my time in creating the show is sponsored by my patrons. Thanks to everyone supporting the show on Patreon. Thanks to new patrons, Glenn Nock, Beth Ball and Kylie Ross. And thanks to everyone who's been supporting the show for years. I really appreciate it, especially in difficult times. Uh, You can support the show for just a couple of dollars a month and you will get the extra Q&A where I tend to share um, lots more personal things and you'll get the backlist as well. So if you have more time to listen, check it out at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview and I will be back afterwards for a slightly longer uh, outro. Austin Cleon is the New York Times and international best-selling author of four books, including Steal Like an Artist and Show Your Work. He's also an artist, professional speaker, and newspaper blackout poet. Today, we're talking about Keep Going, 10 Ways to Stay Creative in Good Times and Bad. Welcome, Austin. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you on the show. Now, I read Keep Going recently because I really needed the message after over a decade doing this um, sort of full time. So what prompted you to write the book? Because I know like everyone thinks you're so super successful. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was right there with you. I had been sort of, um, you know, two things, really. Uh, I had sort of you know, I think it's it's impossible to avoid, um, you know, what, what's going on in America right now um, and just sort of the political climate of things that I think, you know, how divisive uh, politics has become in the country. And I think how uh, most of the creative people I know, you know, creative people are fairly sensitive people. I mean, they need to be sensitive because they need to be absorbing the world so that they can like process it and put it back out. So I I think that for a lot of my really creative friends, um, just sort of the culture has just become so distracting and, you know, that's, that's everything from the politics to the climate of social media to, to everything else. Um, so, you know, that was going on. Um, but also, you know, I, I was just like you, I had hit this kind of 10 year mark of trying to be an artist, trying to be a creative person. And, you know, I've done reasonably well, uh, but I just wasn't sure if I wanted to do it anymore. It just, it just, um, 
And so I sort of needed a pep talk for myself. This is sort of the first book I wrote for me in the present. I feel like my other books were written for me in the past. Um, and, and this was a book that I needed to, to read. And so it was, um, so that's sort of how it happened. Mm. And uh, <laughs> did, did it help you? <laughs> I think so. I think that, <laughs> I think that, um, I, I think that what it, you know, I, I feel like you don't really know as a writer, I think people have this idea that you have ideas and then you just need to get them down. And, I think that's a really that that can happen as a writer, but I think most of the time when you're writing, you're really writing to discover what you think in the first place. Um, you're really writing to think, and I think that is sort of the case across a lot of creative disciplines: is that you don't really know what you're doing until you're doing it. You don't really know what you think until you've made something. Um, and so I think for me, every book is a sort of, uh, I sort of discover a little bit more about myself, but uh, keep going was a book that was not only helpful to write, but it has been helpful to go back to it. You know, I feel like every time it's hard when you write a book because, you know, I always joke about when you execute something, it's sort of dead to Ted, dead to you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I love that word execution. People are like, we got to execute this project. And it's like, and then it will be dead. You know? um, <laughs> but I always feel like after every book, you know, you've kind of, you've been there and done that. Um, but this is a book that sort of remains relevant in this terrible way. I want the book to be irrelevant. <laughs> you know, I want, <laughs> I want to not be distracted. I want to not be despondent. I want my friends to be the same way, but um, it's just sort of the times we're in. So it's, it's helped, it helped me to write it and it does help me to read it. Yeah. Well, I've, yeah. I've still got it on my desk. So, I mean, <laughs> I look at it. I wonder also about the 10 year itch, you know, I, I yeah. wonder, you know, in any career and they talk about that in terms of relationships or anything we do when you've done it for a decade, you know, you wonder where, where to go next almost. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the one thing I have had friends tell me about the book is that it actually functions as a little mini poster. Like you can have the book on your desk and it just tells you to keep going and that's good enough. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like that. I mean, I do think there's something about 10 years. I mean, obviously it's an arbitrary number and nature doesn't think in tens or anything, but I think, um, I, I feel like, you know, if you've had a hot streak, for example, I'm thinking about all the musicians I love that they had about, you know, the Beatles were only around for like less than 10 years. You know, I mean, the, the first the first Beatles record, I think, was 62 or 63. Of course, they'd been playing for a long time before that. But like, you know, the last Beatles record comes out in 70 and then they break up. And, you know, that's not even 10 years. And so in some ways um 10 years is a good run um but it does seem to be there seems to be something about 10 years where you have to either take a break or you have to reassess or something new needs to happen um of course you know the the thing that the people i was looking to when i wrote this book were uh artists like david hockney or um there was this really great uh string of what i called senior citizen artist documentaries that came out <laughs> over the past years. There was like Bill Cunningham, the photographer, Bill Cunningham, New York. There was Joan Rivers piece of work. Um, there was, uh, 
uh, and then there was the there was the David Hockney had his wonderful retrospective. So I was really looking up to these. These were the artists I was looking up to. You know, I was I was really looking up to these to these people um, who had somehow managed to, you know, regenerate over time and keep a long career going. Because that was the real question for myself. It was really one of stamina. Like, how can I keep doing this? How can mm. I, you know, on? Um, and I think what's really funny is, like, after I wrote Keep Going, it was sort of interesting because sort of tied up this trilogy of books. And I think it freed me up now to really figure out what's next for me. And um, and that's what we all sort of wish for, right, is that moment where we do get to ask ourselves what's next, Um yeah, absolutely. I absolutely. I do want. I do want to mention also that Paul McCartney is still going. So, right? <laughs> I yeah, mean, he's one of those older creative artists who is just super creative. But cu- coming coming yeah. back to the art, you um, collage. I love your blog. You share um, pictures of your collages and the art that you do, and of course, your cutout poetry is how you uh, got started. So, how do you? And you talk there about writing to work out what you you think. But how do you know when to create? what when you go to your desk how do you know right I'm going to write or I'm going to collage or I'm going to do poetry or I'm going to create something else god that's a great question um I just try to go with what's exciting me at the moment like I haven't made a blackout poem in probably a couple of months um but right now I got really into blind contour drawing which is um it's when uh, you draw something, but you keep your eye on the subject and not on the paper. So it sort of loosens you up. It's this exercise and looking and your drawings come out and they're really wonderful and weird and interesting. And there's this sort of moment after you're done with the drawing where you get that sort of aha moment of looking down and it's really addictive, but I've been doing those for the past week or two. And that just kind of came out of nowhere and I'm just sort of like riding that wave of interest until it's done. And then I'll probably skip over to something else, but I don't really know uh, what I, what I really have is um, what I have in my, in my process is I have little, I almost have boxes to fill. That's the best way I can think of to, to, to say it's like, um, so in the morning, so basically I carry around this pocket notebook all day and I just just write down all my stupid ideas in there <laughs> and I draw things and, you know, I'm just writing in this notebook all day. And then when the morning comes around, um, after we sort of gotten the kids to school and that kind of thing, I sit down and I have a diary that I work in and I either I usually do something visual so I'll either do a collage or I'll do a drawing um, or a comic or something. And then I'll fill like three more pages of writing. And that's sort of the time where I'm kind of, I'm looking back on yesterday, but I'm also like kind of working on what I'm thinking and that kind of thing. And then after the diary's done for the day, usually there's something in the diary that I want to turn into a blog post or I'll think of a good blog post or something that I want to share on my blog. And then I go over and I do the blog post and that can be anything from like, Oh, here's this interesting book I read, or here's this interesting quote, or here's something I drew, or here's something I made, or here's a really long post about parenting or something. I don't know, you know, whatever it is. 
Um, and then once I make the blog post for the day, I'm sort of done in a sense creatively, like for as far as like the baseline, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, like that's the work that has to get done for the day. Um, and I just sort of work that way every morning. And then for the rest of the day, it really depends on what's on the docket. Like today, you know, I went for a walk and we're doing this interview and this afternoon I'll probably do some stuff and I have to pick up my kid and blah, blah, blah. Um, but that's sort of the thing for me that, uh, keep going did was it helped me establish a repetitive, repeatable daily system for producing work. Um, because that for me has been the thing that I was really missing in my life was some sort of method to making work all the time. Does that make sense? Am I making mm. sense? Oh, oh no, okay. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think, well, um, Stephen Pressfield's do the work is, you know, one of the books I also have <laughs> on my yeah. desk. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just, it's interesting. I mean, it's hard when you're someone who I'm just a guy who's interested in a lot of different things and that sort of feeds the work. And if I don't honor, if I try to be too strict with myself about like projects and things like that, it, it, it's, it's just a little, I'm a believer in constraint, but to a certain point, you know, I, I feel like if I really honor my true interests, then good things happen. And the, the, the person who's inspired the people who have inspired me the most that way are my kids. Um, because I have a seven year old and four year old and the four year old's about to turn five. And they have this wonderful way of being interested in the world in that when they're interested in something, they are completely engrossed and obsessed by it. And they sort of just ride it till it's dead and then they'll just drop it and they'll go to something else. And you'll be like, wow, that was a short phase. <laughs> but then if you stick around for a while, they'll go back to that thing that we're sort of obsessed by every once in a while. And you're like, oh, okay. They dropped that thing and then they went on to another thing. And then they figured out how the new thing connected to the old thing, you know? And it's, and it, it's really it was, it's, it's been really revealing to me to watch a young person who is sort of naturally engaged in the world, um, to watch how they work. And it's really influenced me, um, as an, as an, as, as everything, it's just really influenced me. It's, it's given me permission to sort of ride my interests until they're exhausted and then drop them for a while and not throw them away, but just keep them around, you know? Mm. So, um, I think that, you know, people, people talk to me a lot about discipline. They'll say, Oh, you seem really disciplined. And I think, well, discipline's really easy when you have desire, you know? I mean, it, it's very easy to be for me, it's very easy to be disciplined with my work if I want to be doing what I'm doing. You know what I yeah. mean? So, <laughs> it's, uh, so I, you know, if I was a really disciplined person, I'd be thinner than I am. <laughs> so, oh, me like, too. <laughs> so it's like, um, I don't know. I, I'm just, I think that the joy and the blessing of having kids for me is it's put me in touch with just that sort of uh, raw interest, that kind of raw passion. Like, if you think about it, how many of our interests have been sort of artificially instilled in us from 
whether it was school or whether it was like what's interesting in social media or like what's selling in the marketplace or whatever, it, it's it's hard sometimes as an adult to really sit back and be like, what am I truly fascinated by in the world? Because I think that's like so much of the creative person's agenda is to think about what do you really want to pay attention to? What are your true, what do you want to shed light on? You know, what, what do you want to put your gaze on? What, what do you want to highlight in the world for others? Mm. Um, and I just think that the noise of the world really gets in the way of your attention. And, and I'm just, just a very, very clear mundane example of this. When you use the internet, for example, my default mode for the internet most of the time now is I open Twitter or Instagram. Like, hey, let's see what everyone's talking about. It used to be that the internet wasn't that way for me. When I went on the internet, it used to be like, what am I interested in for the day? And I would type in to the search box. There's like this sort of thing now where most of how we digest life online is through what's called feeds, right? Mm. And when I think of the word feed, I think of like a pig in a trough. <laughs> so it's like, whereas there's another way of interacting with the web, which is you type things into the search box and you see what comes up and you're like digging around, you know, based on your direction. And it's interesting, even with Twitter, sometimes when I go on Twitter, I won't look at my feed. I'll simply type in, what I'm interested in right now, like little search terms, and then I'll limit it to people I follow and see if any of the people I follow have talked about this thing I'm really interested in. And it's sort of this whole way of sort of tilting your experience of online life from what's being pushed at you um, versus what you want to discover. So it's like the search versus the feed. So I think in creative life, it's very it's very easy to get in that feed mode where you're just sort of like, oh, okay, whatever project's coming my way, I just do that. Or like whatever people are interested in, I do that and blah, blah, blah. It's very easy to get knocked out of that search mode that I think is so important to making new work. Mm. No, that's great. And you mentioned a few things there. You, you mentioned the word joy and blessing and light. Um, but one of the things that I picked up from the book, because uh, I write pretty dark fiction, and you said... Yeah. You said art is not only made from things that spark joy, in inverted commas. Um, art is also made out of what is ugly or repulsive to us. So I, I wondered what your, th especially as you mentioned at the beginning, the political climate, people's, you know, right now we've got some virus issues going around. Yeah. So how do we tap into our dark side while avoiding the fear of judgment that inevitably comes? Well, I think what's really important is to have some kind of private practice. I mean, I think that um, for a long time, you know, artists, it, part of the joy of making art was you could sort of like shut yourself away in a room or like with a sketchbook or with your typewriter and let that kind of darkness and weirdness come out. Um, and I think now we're in this sort of like share everything culture where I think people don't feel like they can be as private. I feel like private space is disappearing in a lot of ways. Like I feel like when people make things, they're very like, like, Oh, I should share this on Instagram right after I make it or so, you know, there's this kind of like feeling that you should share immediately after making things. And I think that 
in some ways I feel a little bit, I don't know that I feel responsible for that as much as I think my second book, show your work, um, which was all about like sharing your stuff before you have like a perfect finished product. Um, I think that sort of got misinterpreted by a lot of people in that they felt like they needed to always share. And I thought the essential point of that book was you only share things that you want to share that you think are like ready, like, you know, that I'm trying to think of like how to, I, I, I just feel like people are, are like, Oh, I made this thing. I should share it. And they're not putting any time in between when something is created and when it's shared. And so I really think that like one of the key elements for me, as far as like exploring my darker stuff and figuring out like what's bothering me, what's itching at me is to have a private place that I can go to, to do work. And so that's why I keep a diary and a sketchbook is that a diary or a sketchbook is like a good place to have bad ideas. You know, it's a good place to let those sort of demons come out and to see what you're dealing with and you don't have to, um, you know, no one ever has to see it, you Mm. know, but I think this is happening and I just think that our private lives are disappearing and, and privacy used to be the place that we would work on some of these things, you know? Um, and so I, you know, that, that is my, you know, kind of first example, um, of how people, you know, can bring some of that darkness back into the work is to just think about like, where are the private spaces that you occupy? Like, where are the safe zones where you can go and like sort of be as weird as you want to be? Um, and then, and then, you know, the question of having the courage or the, the, the whatnot to, to actually share the work, that's like a whole separate issue. But for me, like having a private space, because I'm such a public person now, um, it's been really, you know, helpful to have private zones where I work. And, uh, I think privacy is important for everyone to have that, that kind of space to, to sort of let things exist. Mm, I agree. And it's interesting because, of course, you talk there about, you know, being quite a public person now and your blog. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's things you don't share on your blog, but you do put pictures of your diary and sometimes your kids art and things like that and, and really do let people in. So I, I wondered um, what part of your life does blogging play? Is it marketing? Is it um, expression? Uh, is it everything? What, what 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 does it do for you? Because a lot of people will say now there's no point in blogging because it's all oversaturated. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure there is a point to blogging. Um, I think they might be right. I think everybody's right and everyone's wrong, you know, just like <laughs> anything else. Um, for me personally, what blogging does is it is a public having to show up it's almost like a newspaper column or something i I don't know i'm trying to think of like in in previous media what would be the equivalent for me a blog is a way of generating it's not just a way of sharing it's a way of generating ideas like when i have to sit down and stare at my empty, empty wordpress box and come up with something that i think is interesting or uh, that is a that is an act that kind of holds you accountable in this way. Like having to show up and fill the box with something interesting is just an exercise that I think is just like really valuable on its own. Um, I think it clarifies your thinking. I think 
just literally sitting down and thinking, what do I have to say today that I could share with someone else focuses you in this really interesting way. And I think that over time, what is really helpful about a blog is that you start to pick up on your own patterns. Um, You know, tags are really interesting to me on blogs because once you have a tag going, you're like, huh, that's one of my interests. Like I've had blog tags that have become whole book chapters or whole Mm -hmm. books really. So for me, it's like what I'm trying to do with the blog is sort of what a writer like David Sedaris does with his writing in that he sort of, he carries this notebook around all day scribbling in it. And then he goes to his diary in his morning and he types about whatever was interesting in the notebook. And then when he does a show, he shares some of that diary writing sees how people react to it, makes a little marge, you know, marks in the marginality and stuff. And then he turns those pieces into essays that become books. So it's this kind of like iterative process of like generating material, putting it out in the world, seeing how people respond to it and then repackaging it and then putting it back out, you know? So for me, the blog is sort of like, okay, I'm putting these ideas out there. I'm seeing if it impacts anyone or, or seeing what people send back to me. And then kind of like gathering these thoughts over time into something more coherent that I'll then put in these books. So like a lot of, if you, you know, if you have the, if you're insane and you want to go back 10 years in my (laughs) blog, I mean, you could find a lot of material that makes its way into the books, you know? Um, But I don't like keep going would not exist if I hadn't started daily blogging again. I forgot to mention that. Like, in October of 2017, I started um, I started going back to the blog every day and um, and writing there every day. And uh, the thing that I found really interesting about frequency, um, and by frequency I mean something like the the dailiness of the blogging, is that I used to wait until I had something to say to blog. Um, but I've noticed that by going to it every day, the quality of the posts, the number of good quality posts actually rises um, by doing it every day. Mm-hmm. There's a great, there's a great like, um, there's a great story in Art and Fear that uh, that that book um, by uh, I, I'm going to forget. I think it's Ted Orland and and David Bales, um, but. Yeah, they did this book right. called yeah they did this book called Art and Fear and there's an example in there where there's a pottery class and half the class is told to just make the best pot they can and half the class is told just make as many pots as you can and the people in the group who were told to make as many as they could they ended up producing more better pots or better pots than the ones who were told to make the best pot so like, so I think I got that story right, but that, that has happened to me. It's like, um, frequency is very important, like going like in dailiness and just doing the same thing over and over tends to get better results than to just like work on one thing endlessly. I mean, uh, a musical example of that for me is someone like Prince who at the kind of peak of his career was like recording a song a day. I mean, mm-hmm. he was you know, 83, 84, the music was just like pouring out of him. And he, 
didn't really have time to be a prof- you know if you listen to some of that Prince stuff from that era it's pretty rough like sonically i mean it's not like perfectly engineered or anything like that but the songs are incredible and the music's incredible because it was just he was just recording every day and just making stuff. he was making so much stuff that like they they couldn't put it out you know quick enough that's why he had to like um you know you get you get me talking about prince i'll talk for <laughs> prince has a Prince has that effect on people. I don't know if you noticed this. There are no like casual Prince fans. Like once you get into Prince, it's kind of like consuming. <laughs> but um, Prince, you know, then he has to. That's the reason Prince had to make up all those different bands, like The Time and like the Vandy Six and stuff, is because he had so many songs. Like he couldn't release them all by himself. Mm. But the thing I learned from him is like, like if you work every day just by the law of averages, you'll produce good stuff. You know, you might make 30 crummy poems, uh, but then the next month you'll make one good one Mm -hmm. and then you have a really good poem. You know, I mean, it just, it just seems to, that, that, that I found works better than, than, than the opposite, which is to just slave and only work when you're inspired and only work like on things and big bursts and stuff like that. Yeah, and um, well, you've you've met. I mean, Prince is you know incredible. Uh, although one one thing he never got right was uh, doing a will, which obviously right. <laughs> yeah. is a big Couldn't lesson learned uh, yeah. for, from him. But um, which we're all benefiting from. Oh, honestly, abs- absolutely. Because, um, you know the the cash out from the estate's been fantastic. There's all this stuff that's coming out, so <laughs> it's a good time to be a Prince fan or a new Prince fan. Indeed. Um, well, I wanted to ask you then, because obviously that art, that the art you're creating every day isn't necessarily monetized in any way, to, to use yeah. the term. And another quote from the book, which um, I, I liked, was, things can get very, very tricky when you turn the thing you love into the thing that keeps you and your family clothed and fed. And many people listening want to be full-time writers, um, but it is difficult. So how do you keep art things you create just for the hell of it and business in balance given that you have kids and and a family um you know i one of my favorite poems is this poem by this guy named kenneth coke it's called you want a social life with friends um and i won't you know i i won't recite it but basically what coke says is you can have uh work family or friends pick two you know, he's, he's like, there's, there's enough time for work and family and there's enough time for work and friends and there's enough time for work for friends and family, but there's like not enough time for all three. And of course that's seasonal, but like for me right now, like I, uh, I'm thinking of that line that Nick Cave says in Moonstruck, I have no life, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's like I, it's family and it's, it's work. And, um, and that's the season we're in as a, as a couple is there, there's only time for the kids and there's only time for work. Um, but as far as like making a living and I mean, this is, this is so the, the making a living thing is so dependent on what it is that you do, what your different income streams are. Um, for me, for example, like I don't consider it's interesting because people will talk to me about, oh, you know, you make a living doing what you love. You make a living off your art. And I'm like, well, actually, I don't make a living doing what I love. I make a good living 
doing, um, making byproducts out of what I love. So what I mean by that is the books are not art. Like when I, there, there's artfulness in the books, but when I make one of my books, for example, I am thinking of it as a product. I'm thinking of it as a book that I am, I'm trying to do something in the books. I'm trying to do something for the reader. Um, and they are not like, I do not consider them works of art. Um, they are the byproducts of me trying to make art for myself. So I'm sort of like packaging the byproducts of that experience into something that I can sell to people. And the same is true of when I give a talk. Um, I'm not, that's not really my art, like a stand-up comedian. That's their art, right? When they get on stage, that's their art. When I get up on stage and talk, it's very much the byproduct of what I really like to do, which is just, you know, draw and make stuff and whatever. So um, my friend Hugh McLeod says that there's always like, he has this thing called the sex and cash theory. And the way that he talks about it is like, there's always a sexy part of the work. And then there's always the cash part of the work. <laughs> so it's kind of like, you know, um, the, the sexy part of my job, the like the diary and the blogging and the like making stuff. That's, that's not really, I don't really monetize that, you know, um, everything else is like the stuff I make money off of is like packaging. Like I said, the byproducts of that process, but it's tricky, you know, I mean, and it's different for everybody. Um, I think I would be, uh, and it's funny cause like, I haven't really, you know, I'm, I'm really in a really lucky situation where I can live off of books and speaking right now. So I don't sell a lot of artwork right now, mm. um, or merchandise or anything like that. Um, and I don't teach or, you know, I don't teach in like a real, like I don't have online courses or I don't teach at a university or anything like that. So it's a pretty slim, you know, the revenue streams are pretty like they're, they're not, I don't, I don't, I'm at a point in my life. I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm at a point in my life where I would rather have my time and more money. Um, you know, I'd rather be around my family more. I'd rather, you know, have a smaller house and then, you know, try to maximize profit or whatever, you know? Um, but that is seasonal, you know, uh, I don't want to get off track here, but I think everything is just dependent on um, it's so dependent on model and so dependent on what you would want to do. I mean, I try to remember, I try to remind people all the time. I'm like, look, you know, I love poetry. Like that's like, that's something I'm really, you know, that like a lot, of, a lot of my heroes were poets and you, no one, like hardly anyone statistically has ever made a living off of poetry. You know, <laughs> like, no, like all of my poet heroes had day jobs or they had like, you know, wealthy families or some sort of, you know, income coming in. So I think what this is a long winded way of getting around to like, you know, um, art and commerce just don't necessarily mix. And I think one thing that's really cool right now is that people are doing a lot of experimenting with um, different income streams, uh, different support systems. Like I see what's going on with Patreon and um, uh, you know, how people use Kickstarter and stuff like that. That's very interesting to me. 
Um, now I will say that I haven't done a lot of that stuff because I don't really want the complications of that. I think that sometimes I don't necessarily really want patrons, you know, I want to make something and sell it. Mm. (laughs) You know, I, I, there's a, there's a, I feel like there's a little bit of an entitlement that happens when people feel like they have a real direct monetary influence on your life. And I just haven't been quite, um, I haven't been quite comfortable with that myself, but I've also been really lucky that, uh, you know, that I have the, the career that I do. Mm. Although of course, um, most artists in history have had patrons that, that has been the model. Absolutely. Yeah. We're kind of like back to it, you know, and, um, it's, it's a, it, and it's, they've always been interestingly fraught relationships. Um, and there's always, I, you know, one of the things I think is really interesting as I've gotten more into this career and into this work is to think about the, the heroes of all stories. You know, I mean, we always prop up the artist, but, there's always a support system going on in the background of a lot of these stories. Um, and, you know, depending on your perspective, the, the people who really, you know, enabled the artists are, are, are some of the real heroes of the story. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, I think artists have always had to be scrappy. They've always had to sort of like cobble together a life. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I'm interested these days I'm interested in issues. I think artists usually do themselves a disservice uh, as, you know, artists usually are like, they say things like, you know, Oh, I, you know, we need, I don't really need to get into it. I, I think that artists really like, I think we do ourselves a disservice by disconnecting ourselves from other kinds of workers. Um, I think that for example, you know, people get really, I'm so in the U S right now, um, I'm a big outspoken proponent for universal healthcare because I look around at my kind of peers and people doing the work that I really enjoy. And in the United States, I mean, bad healthcare or lack of healthcare kills more artists than you can shake a stick at. Mm. Um, and the stress level involved of, you know, having that lingering over your head all the time. Um, I don't think people pay enough attention to it. And I think that there are a lot of people who would be doing even more interesting work if they were freed of that sort of like, what's going to happen to my family if, if, if they get sick, you know, I mean, I, I know a lot of people who, only hold on to their day jobs as a way to, you know, keep their healthcare and their benefits and stuff. So I'm always looking at it from a, you know, people get upset with me when I talk about it because they think it's a political issue. And I'm like, well, yeah, it is a political issue, but it's an art issue too. You know, they'll say same things like, oh, you should stick to art. You should stick to what you know. And I'm like, no, this is an art issue. If artists had access to, you know, um, affordable healthcare, and they knew that, you know, they, they could take more chances in their work and we would all benefit from it, you know? So it's like stuff like that, mm. that I think is, 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 um, is interesting right now. Um, but, you know, every time in this country, you know, you'll see an artist who has to like run a GoFundMe for, cause they got hit by a car or something. 
And some people will be like, oh, isn't this great that we can all pitch in and like take care of this person that we love through this online thing. And I'm like, it's, it's a tragedy that we should even have to do this. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a failure of the system that artists should, that anyone should have to run a GoFundMe for their medical expenses. Like it's just insane. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess at the end, you know, circling back to your, your book title, you can't actually keep going unless you're healthy. So <laughs> right. that, that's a good message. Um, <laughs> To, to finish off on, because it looks like we are out of time. Uh, so tell <laughs> us, where can people find you and everything you do online? Uh, the easiest way is the old-fashioned way. Just type my name into the address bar, austincleon.com, or, um, and I'm Austin Cleon on Instagram and Twitter. And um, probably the thing that your listeners might be the most interested in is I give out a weekly free newsletter where I point to 10 things I think are worth sharing. Um, and I think like 70,000 people subscribe now and it's like my favorite thing I do online and, um, it's sort of the way I best keep connected with people. So that's the best way to stay in touch with me. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time, Austin. That was great. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed the interview with Austin. And of course, we recorded that three over three weeks ago when the world was very different. <laughs> and I have found my perspective has shifted uh, on some of the things we talked about over the last few weeks. I can't speak t- for Austin, but I'm sure he might have too. You can check out his blog at austincleon.com. So we both talked about this sense of maybe ennui or tiredness at over a decade in this business, a sense that after 10 years, something needs to happen that maybe you need to move on, do something new. But now with the coronavirus and the economic downturn, I actually feel galvanised into action, grateful for the fact that I have an online business full of ideas for ways to help people and continue earning so I can support my family. And I am not taking my life for granted at all. The ennui and exhaustion has gone. I am fired up. And Austin said, there seems to be something about 10 years where you have to either take a break or you have to reassess or something new needs to happen. And of course, neither of us expected the something new to be a global pandemic. (laughs) But it certainly focuses the mind. And to echo what Austin said, what are you truly interested in? Um, And how do you want to spend your time? Maybe now is the time to figure that out. And again, if you look back to the global financial crisis, one of my business started out of the GFC and many entrepreneurs started their businesses off the back of the GFC because we were so shocked into what happened. You know, I swore that not that one company would never control my whole income, and that is how I run my business. And and it's pretty resilient, to be honest. We shall see, obviously, over the next year. But um, I think that now is a good time to be questioning what you want to do and how you want to spend your time. And I just I feel very fired up actually about being creative, being an online business person. And many of the trends that I've been talking about in the futurist segment, these are going to accelerate uh, off the back of this. And I'm going to talk about my thoughts on that in a different episode, uh, not today. 
But yes, um, Austin also talked about working out what we think by writing. And that is really important at the moment. I'm certainly journaling almost every day uh, to draw, to try and deal with the various feelings that are going on and using our creative side to cope with changing times. I hope if you have kids at home, you're doing fun, creative projects yourself as well as uh, helping them. Uh, I also found the comments on business interesting too. I hope you did uh, that to Austin, his books aren't art, but a byproduct of his art. And also that only part of our work as a full-time creative is the creative bit. And a lot of the stuff is running a business. And that is the reality. And of course, finally, Austin mentioned healthcare in the USA. And whatever your political persuasion, we can only hope that this current situation means that whoever wins the next US election will make universal healthcare a priority. It's certainly a great relief to me to be in the UK where we already have this. And of course, there are issues with our NHS, but there are issues with everything. And uh, I certainly, it's one less stress that I know I have and I do not take it for granted. Absolutely not. I wish this for my American friends. I wish this for wherever you are in the world too. And I can only hope that we'll come out of this crisis and things will change to um, to help people. But we obviously have a ways to go yet. Uh, but I will come back to that at another time. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the interview and definitely get Austin's books. Check out his blog at austincleon.com. So next week, I have an interview with Mark Leslie Lefebvre about getting your books into bookstores and libraries. And I've been preaching this for a while now, uh, but (laughs) we've actually, I mean, right now people will need libraries more than ever. And we talk about how you can get your book into libraries, um, but also so it's free for readers, but you can also get paid. And of course, you can get into libraries through Draft Digital for ebooks and Publish Drive and Smashwords and places like that. And also find away voices for audiobooks. Um, so, yeah, I think the libraries are more than uh, more important than ever right now, to be honest. And of course, you can get my ebooks and audiobooks on your library system. Just uh, request it on your app. And I guess with bookstores, we shall see uh, where that is after a while, but it will be interesting to hear from Mark. And of course, you can, you should be able to order books from your local independent bookstore by um, phoning them up, or hopefully they have a website where you can order books. So hopefully the bookstores will come back at the end of this. Right. So that interview with Mark is coming up next week. Stay safe, stay sane, (laughs) happy writing, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.